Welcome to the GenesisChurch.tv podcast with Scott Hunter. I'm your host, lead pastor of Genesis, Scott Hunter. Today is a rebroadcast of week three of our Welcome Back series, I Love My Church and My Church Loves Me, where we talk about the foundation and purpose of the church. The church is not a building, it's the movement of God's people. Get ready to learn and grow. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to our third and our final week of I Love My Church and My Church Loves me. We are obviously talking about the church and what that means as a group of people. It means we gather as God's people. The church is not a building. The church is a movement. Amen? So I don't really know what comes to your mind when we say church, right? So it's obviously going to be way different than what the first century church looked like, what they believed about church, because you know, those were the ones that actually walked around with Jesus. So they didn't think of a building, and they definitely didn't think of rows or chairs or cool moving lights or worship bands or, you know, tricked out kids' church wings. Like, this just wasn't a thing. And so the church began as a movement, and it was just fueled by one single event, the resurrection of Jesus. And it was led by eyewitnesses and then they got really big really fast. Okay, so on opening day, over 3,000 people came to know the Lord. They joined the church. Two weeks later, it was like up to 5,000 plus men, plus uh, women and children. So like that total doesn't include the women and children. And so this movement was really unsettling to the status quo. It was really nerve-wracking to people who were very churchy, right? They didn't they didn't want it. There was a resistance. The churchy people, the Sanhedrin, didn't like it, right? And so last week, we highlighted the response of the church. We highlighted their response to the Sanhedrin. Now, believers, they knew that the response to the resistance would really negatively affect their careers. It was probably going to mess up their reputations. And sometimes, they kind of feared that it would take their lives. So the early Christians they prayed. In response, they prayed. Did they pray for protection? No. Did they pray that this resistance would just go away to their cause? No. They prayed for more boldness. Acts 4, 29-30 says, Now, Lord, consider their threats. This is their prayer. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Everybody say boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they say, put the words of your gospel in my mouth. Let it come forth with boldness. And God, increase miracles. Let more heads turn. Let more heads spin at the wonders of all that you do as we proclaim healing and see miracles and works done in by and through the name of Jesus Christ. That's what their response was to people saying, we're going to come get you, throw you in jail, or kill you. Pretty amazing. Now, even though that crime is like on a major uptick here in the United States, you and I still live in one of the safest, freest countries on the world, or on the map, or in the earth. That's, we just do. Right? Most of us live in probably either a safer part of town right, where, where we settle down and, and say, this is the safest area for my kids, and I'm going to live in the freest country. Right? But yet we still pray for our kids' safety. We're still praying for 
safe jobs. We're still praying for our lives to be safe. And so we literally live in a culture where boldness about our faith, it costs us almost nothing. Maybe we take some negative comments from somebody online that just wants to be argumentative, and yet we lack boldness. Oh, no, I can't respond back in kindness and teach my fake friend of a friend of a friend that I've never met in real life because they said something negative about my faith on Instagram. Like, that's how we, that's what we think suffering for the gospel has come down to. Because there was a time, though, that where I grew up, church was fueled by the conviction that everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. I grew up in that era, and I'm thankful that I did. That's why I say what I say, and that's how you know, I say the things that I do, and, and if you're offended by the word of God, I'm, I, I love you, but so be it. I'm not going to intentionally hurt anybody or say anything rude to be rude. I'm here to proclaim, though, that Jesus still matters, that he is the only one worth living for, and that our lives should be wrapped around his purposes, and that our priorities should be wrapped around his church, his family. Because we are called to love God and love others. That's what Jesus said were the two greatest commandments, the two greatest things that you and I could do on this earth. Love him, love somebody else. So do that with me, please. And regardless if you believe the word of God that comes out of my mouth, guess what? I'm still going to love you just the same. But it probably means that I'm going to annoy you. Sorry, not sorry. You see, the ultimate expression of following Jesus is that those people who say they believe in him and know him, they have this really unusual, to put it that way, an unusual kind of love, right? Because it gets displayed towards those, even those who position themselves as enemies of God's church. We don't make you enemies, but those who are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church, Get irritated when the church still loves you. So let me lay this one on you. If the early church had been so safety conscious like we are today and had been so rights conscious today, instead of being bold, I promise you the message of Jesus Christ would not have lasted six months past his resurrection. So here's what really happened. After these disciples prayed for boldness, guess what? They spoke boldly about what they saw because it wasn't just something that they had quietly believed. It was something they had experienced that opened their eyes. And there was this incredible, I guess, expression, this, this incredible outbreak of generosity because of that. Acts 5.13 says that those who didn't even believe in the gospel still held these Christians in high esteem. So even the people that didn't want to hear their message still lifted these Christians up because they were like, whoa, there's something different about them. Why, why do they love me even though I, I don't want anything to do with them? And because of the way that they loved each other and because of the way that they loved other people, multitudes were added. People from surrounding cities begin to flock to Jerusalem, bringing their sick and saying, hey, apostle, hey, believer, hey, church, put your hand upon my kid who's sick and burning up with fever. Put your hand upon my child who's suffering with seizures 
and claim in Jesus' name that they be healed. Guess what? The same Holy Spirit that did the work through these apostles lives in you. The only difference is they believe to enact the miracles of God by using the gift that God had put in them. They loved God and they believed that the impossible could be done in Jesus' name. But the religious people did not like this. The religious people got a little jelly. In fact, they got really, really jealous, right? So something <laughs> inside of them just, was just oh, it was bad. Like it just in, infuriated them to the point where they're like, forget it. Put them all in jail. Throw them all in jail. So that's what they did. They routed up all the apostles and they threw them in jail again and again and again. And here's what happened every single time. Somebody or something let them out. In the middle of the night, the doors would just come open. Imagine that, fighting against God, and the God begins to fight for you. Hmm, wonder how that works, right? And so the same people that were arrested and thrown in jail the night before are in the temple the next day preaching in Jesus' name. Are you kidding me? No, I am not, right? And the guards be like, what, wait, where, what? You're, you're not, okay. And so... The jails are empty, and, and now they were like, what do we do? Because we can't really arrest them, because what happens is they start seeing the crowd of people flock to these believers, flock to these Christians. And so they ask them, hey, why don't you appear before the Sanhedrin versus arresting them? Because here's, they were, at this point, they were like, uh, something weird is happening. And if we keep messing with them, all these other people, that even if they don't believe, that are kind of like, oh, we like these Christian people, they begin to get afraid that the people around them are going to turn on the guards and the Sanhedrin, and they were going to stone them, not give them wacky tabacky, but hurl rocks at them and kill them. So they invited them to come talk, persuasively invited them. So here's what went down at the meeting. I'm going to give a big, a big chunk of scripture for you. Look at Acts chapter 5. Read along with me. We're going to read verses 27 through 41 because you need to, knew, need to know what happened. All right. So it says, the apostles, they were all brought in, and they were made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Don't be running your mouth saying, Jesus, 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 he said. You fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. We know that we did this, but we don't want to take credit for it, right? Then Peter, my boy, stood up with his big old bold brashy mouth and said this, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to the right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses. We have seen this. We are eyewitnesses of the account of what happened, of all these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious, and they just wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up at the Sanhedrin, in order that these men be put outside for a little while. So he says, go outside, and I need to talk to my fellows. So here's what goes down. I love this. He dressed the Sanhedrin. Most people would 
you know, just continue to be angry, but he's like, I, I, I'm going to give you some sage advice. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers dispersed. And it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt, and he too was killed, and all of his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail anyways. But, so here's what's crazy. Before I read this sentence, I want you to think about how God can even use people who hate you who were sworn enemies of God to do the thing that God needs to do in this earth. When God says, not even the gates of hell will prevail against me, here's what he means. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You're only going to find yourselves fighting against God. This is someone who just put Jesus Christ to death. All right. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them all flogged. Because I couldn't let you go. Let's beat him for a little while and then we'll feel better about ourselves. Then they ordered them not to speak. Don't you speak in Jesus' name again. And then they let them go. Well, what do you think the apostles did? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, worthy of suffering the disgrace for the name, the name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Now, pause a second. I want you to think about the things that we gripe at as Christians Have you ever had the privilege of losing someone because you were really bold about your faith? Some of you have. Some of you have lost family members. You don't talk to them anymore because they don't want anything to do with you. Some of you have lost friends or opportunities or inheritance even. But for most of us, we have not. For some reason, I don't know why, in the safest place, in the safest country, we're afraid to be bold. This is Father George's Christian church in Egypt. Bombs blew it up a couple years ago on Palm Sunday. I remember the story, and it killed 50 of his parishioners or members of his church and wounded over 100 more. It happened in the middle of service. Now, just hours after the chaos ensued and in the middle of all the grief, Father George stepped up to still yet a packed church because none of them left. And he gave the terrorist a three-point sermon that went viral worldwide. And it was entitled, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. And his three points, they were simple, but they were not cliche. They said, thank you, we love you, and we're praying for you. Father George said, thank you, because the terrorist gave the dead this opportunity to honor God by dying for Christ, for the sake of the gospel. He thanked them that the terrorists shortened their lives so that they get to go to their home early. He thanked the terrorists that allowed Christians' lives to be fulfilled by living out the words that Luke wrote down, that Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And because of the terrorists' actions, it made people mindful of the eternal destiny that they all are going to face. And guess what happened after this went viral? That church was packed. Nobody 
shied away from a bomb going off. Then Father George said, point number two is, we love you. Because even murderers and thieves love those who love them back. But only followers of Jesus Christ are taught to love their enemies. Lastly, Father George closed his message with, we're praying for you. Because he reasoned that even if a terrorist could just taste the love of God, it would drive hatred away from his heart. So their circumstances are extreme. We hear things like this in our head. We go, wow. And then we go to lunch. Acts 5.42, day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching. They never stopped proclaiming the good news. They never stopped saying that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a bit embarrassing to me when we have this much freedom, we even have this, we even have this kind of church that goes the extra mile for our community and the city and our world, and yet we also have such little boldness. So I believe that God has given me today some baby steps, not monumental, huge leaps forward. I'm just saying God's given me some baby steps that might just change our lives, might just change our course on how to get just a little bit more bold in the way that we live our lives. So what is boldness? Boldness is deciding to say something when it would be easier not to say anything at all. Maybe it needs to be where your job has frowned upon people ever talking about religious things because they call everything a religion, not relationship. And someone comes to you and they're pouring out their guts about how their life is falling apart and you know the answer is that they need Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, yet you don't say anything because, well, it's work. Bold is taking advantage of an opportunity that presents itself I'm telling you, if you begin to pray for boldness, you better be ready because God's going to be like, I'm going to give you an opportunity to use it. If you pray this way, you also have to intentionally open up your eyes because the Lord is about to drop someone in your path that you need to be bold and speak his life in words of life and his words of love and embrace that person on behalf of Christ himself. You need to do it and you need to speak it the bold is also creating opportunities. Bold means, for the love of God, would you just please bring somebody to church? You're giggling, but even the, the ha ha hurts my heart. Because as a pastor, it hurts my heart when there are empty seats, when there are so many people in our lives that need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to be where we are pulling down chairs and putting people in the aisles. I remember when we first started this church on Appalachian Parkway, we had people just sitting on the stage because there was no room left. Just no room because there was that many people trying to get in to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just bring a friend to a G group. There's an opportunity. Go to the revamped women's ministry or men's ministry. Go do something fun with them. Hang out. <laughs> Go to college group on Mondays. There's so many college students and 
master's students, doctorate students, and you don't take advantage of community with each other. For the love of God, would you please bring your students on Tuesday nights? We're creating opportunities that are less threatening than a typical church service because we, you think that we want to throw another event? No. We just did a back-to-school bash and literally bashed our kids' heads in because it's fun. We had a joust. It was epic and dangerous and probably stupid. But we had a ton of new kids here that were friends because your kids are bold enough to invite somebody because that's not typical church. That's why we're creating opportunities for you just to get people here, to get your friends, your families, your coworkers, your roommates, your dorm mates, your classmates into a less threatening environment than a church service so they can see that the church, God's people, are genuinely fun, that we are full of life, that we are kind, that we're loving to the nth degree, and we're just a great group of people to be around. Ask them, but P.S., why do I lack this boldness? I ask myself at the same time, when I'm not in my element, a lot of times it's very hard. I'm very introverted. I, strange, right? But when I'm out of my element, I, I feel that like, oh, the tendency to pull back. But I think some of us have gotten to a place where we don't feel like we can be bold because some of us have forgotten the difference that Christ has made in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that you don't remember what Jesus has done for you. That's dumb. What I'm saying is, I think we've forgotten what it feels like to not have any hope. Or to wonder every day, where do I stand with God? If I die in this moment, where am I going? Can you remember what that feels like? Because that's how your friends and your family live every single day of their life. And I can always tell who are new believers in this place because they are radically on fire and they're the only ones that bring people because they're excited about what Christ has done because they just left darkness and are now walking in light. But I think those of us that have been in the game for a while, we forget who's sitting on the sidelines that needs to get in on the playing field. Number two, some of us have never known life without hope. Maybe you grew up in church, that's awesome. Maybe you chose to follow Jesus as a kid. That's fantastic. But guess what? That's not everybody's story. Maybe we've never wondered where we stood with God, but that's not the case for everyone around us. So there still needs to be an urgency for Jesus, even if you have never felt that sting or that, that, that moment of fright where, you know, what happens next? You know where you're going. They don't. I think also we lack boldness because we just get distracted. We're distracted by life. We are just too busy. We are just too successful. We're just too, well, God has answered all my prayers, and we're just too isolated. Like we've made our perfect little world ultra-insulated. It's, it's just the way that I like it. You need to get on a mission trip and see how the real world lives. The world is big. And the world is lost. So church, I'm asking you, could you just be like the first century church again with me? And let's start praying for boldness. 
don't you want to be like the ballers of the first disciples that were like, here's the truth. Just what it is, what it is. Take it or leave it. But guess what? You're going to hear it. I'm so sick of our culture that says truth, that's now lies. And lies are now truth. It's time we start looking for opportunities to set the record straight. It's time for us to open up our mouths and, and, and make the church a movement rather than an institution. Because that's where God showed up. That's where God continues to show up. Seriously, how many of you are sorry because someone told you about Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. How many of you are actually sorry that someone gave you a Bible in your life? How many of you are sorry that Someone invited you to a place where you met people who loved God and loved others. Yo, aren't you glad that there was that person in your life that nagged you to death to get you here? That kept asking you even when you wanted to like knock their teeth out. You're like, leave me alone. When you rejected the idea of Jesus or rejected the idea of trying their church. Hey, why don't you try my church? Why don't you try my church, right? You're like, oh! How many of you are here today because somebody invited you at one point in your life to a church, whether this one or somewhere else? That's at least 50, 60% of you. Man, aren't you glad that that person was bold enough to open up their mouth and say, you know what? Why don't you come try my church? You know what? You need to meet my friend Jesus. You know what? You need to meet my crazy short pastor that's really hairy, really loud, and super obnoxious and makes really weird videos, which you're going to see another one today. Listen, let me wrap up by saying this. If you are a church person, if you are not a follower of Jesus, and you wonder, why will these Christians not leave me alone? Right? Well, I just spent the last 20 minutes telling you, but let me give you a recap. It's because Jesus is alive, and he is the only way to get to the Father. He is the only way to have eternal life. And we have a pretty important message, and we have this urgency that we have to share it with you. But did you know also in your life you're surrounded by Christians all the time, and you don't even know it? It's what I call secret Christians. Shh. They're undercover Christians. Because there's a lot of believers out there that are never, ever going to tell you anything about what they believe in, about who their Savior is, because they don't want to be offended or offensive to you. And they don't, they don't want to do anything that might get them canceled or fired. But then there's a group like some people here at Genesis who still believe that we're supposed to share the verse John 3, 16, for God so loved this world, everybody in it, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. That he gave up his one and only son, and that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not die, but have eternal life. Some people still believe Paul spoke truth in Romans 1, 16, for I and not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Some people took Jesus Christ at his word when he said in John 14, 6, for I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody gets to my dad except through me. See, we believe that something major happened. It wasn't a belief 
It wasn't some kind of philosophy. It was an event that happened 2,000 plus years ago where Christ was raised by the dead from his father himself. To take all those rules of all the religions, of all the things that we'd ever done that broke God's heart, and he forgave them and covered them by the blood of his son on a cross and made us right with him forever. He didn't come for churchy church perfect people. He came for people people. He came up for the jacked up, the messed up, the baggage burdened kind of people, sick people. He wanted a real church for real people. He came for me. He came for you. <laughs> and he came to remove the sting of your greatest fear, death. He came to offer you a solution to the question, well, what about the sin? What about all the stuff that I've done? How can God love me? And you know what? He answered it by giving up his son and bringing dignity to every single person of every single race, of every single background, of every single path, every single nationality. And he came and he showed up and he clarified that every single person on this earth that you have ever met is important to God because God created them. Jew, Gentile, it doesn't matter. For God so loved the world. And if you experience something negative with a Christian in your past, or maybe you've experienced something with a believer that was less than what I just got done in describing to you, man, then I'm sorry. Maybe your impression of Christians have been skewed by followers who missed Christ's point. Why? Because the church should love you. We're supposed to be the most kind people. We're supposed to be the most accepting, hardest working, integrity-filled human beings on this planet to the point that even if you don't ever want to become a believer, you still would want to work for one. You sure as heck would want to hire one. And I promise you, you're going to want to marry one. If we had been doing our jobs, then maybe you who are here and don't believe, I promise you, you would have had a different perspective on who Christ is. Maybe you have a different experience and you would have a different perspective now, but you know what? We got too busy. We were afraid to be bold. We got, we got distracted. Or we just got too safe. And so for that, I'm, I am sorry. But we hope that in spite of some of us who missed the opportunity to love your right, to teach your right, to share with you, I'm still glad that you showed up today and you gave us a second chance. That you tuned in today even though you don't even understand why you're still watching church. And I pray that maybe someday you will come to know the risen Savior in a personal way. Maybe that's today. But I also hope that you will get to know us, the church, and fall in love with us because we love you. We already love you. And please know that we're always going to love you, even if you decide not to love us back. Because that's the real church.
That's really God's people. That's who we're supposed to be. And at Genesis, that's who you're going to get. This has been another podcast of GenesisChurch.tv with Scott Hunter, lead pastor of Genesis Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Tune in each Sunday at 929 or 1101 on YouTube, Vimeo, Facebook, and live.genesischurch.tv or visit us in person at 4070 Mission Road here in Tallahassee. Catch us for weekly messages and midweek interviews and encouragement here on the GenesisChurch.tv podcast.